Hey, what's up? It's Mr. Bill. The track you're listening to right now is the result of a 35-hour tutorial series where I recorded the process of making this song from start to finish and explained myself along the way. If you're interested in learning how to make music or sharpening your craft, go to mrbillstunes.com and check it out. Enjoy the tune. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Sick. All right, man. Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you coming and taking the time to do this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so for those listening uh, who, I'm, I think a lot of people listening probably already know who you are, but for those who don't, they probably almost certainly know some of the tracks that you've made before because you've made some tracks on Spotify that I checked this morning and I was like, what the fuck? These have like a billion <laughs> streams on them. It's wild. Yeah. Like, for example, Starving and The Middle with Zed. Um, I'm curious what, what the process is for making a track like that. Like, do you, do you um, like, go into the process being like, we're going to make a track that gets like a billion streams or... And like, do you, is there like any sort of, um, like I, I've always had this idea with pop music that people go into it like with this sort of social engineering kind of mindset, like how do we make this thing that's engineered in this like really specific way that is like the perfect ideal between everybody's tastes and in, mm. uh, to try and like get, uh, like a super successful song out of the other end of it. Is there anything like that when you're creating a, a song like this or is it just kind of you just make whatever and just uh, sometimes they get a billion streams somehow? I've uh, I definitely experienced that kind of energy living in L.A. And, and doing sessions here, but it's not everyone, you know. And with, with those two songs that, that you mentioned, um, we actually just were a part of the production side of it. We actually didn't like write those top lines. But from from our point of view, is more so just like finding, um, you know, hearing a top line that was sent to us and going like, wow, this has like some special energy, and uh, just trying to make the production as you know, like as unique as we can, but also not like getting in the way of of the songwriting. Mm. That's that's one thing that's tricky is like coming from a producer centric world and like EDM is a bit flashy and like trying to make the production shine as much as possible. But in pop music, if you do that, you're often like overshadowing the vocal. So mm. it's the, it's like a balance between those two things, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I just don't think in life it's ever good to have expectations around anything. I think you just try to make the best thing that you can. And, uh, see see what happens yeah mm. yeah i heard in an interview i, I can't remember who, who the interview was with um but in regards to the middle i heard that that the top line ended up 
going through like 50 different singers or something before you landed on Marin, was it Marin Morris? Or something? Yeah, Marin Morris, yeah. Yeah. What, what was the, what, is that true? Uh, 50 is definitely an exaggeration. I would say it was more like 10 or something, if my memory serves. But uh, yeah, I mean, part of that was just that like we would try different singers and they didn't fit the song um well and then another piece of it was like some of them we were we were actually about to end up using but then some political things happened with singers and you know there's just like business stuff gets in the way sometimes but yeah that one was very convoluted for sure yeah so i'm interested um because usually when i've ever done something with a singer it's like the singer sends me vote like they do the vocals they make whatever melody they're gonna make they they sing everything and, and then I just take it and I go like all right that's the vocal I have to work with and it never even occurs to me to to try and like get another singer to sing somebody else's lyrics or whatever so who who or like how does the the top line writing process work because I assume like if you went through 10 different singers you basically like had someone who made the top line the melody and the words and then you got 10 and you had a demo version of that to send to a bunch of singers and mm. then they would sort of like sing it and send it back right so how does that like initial top line writing process work? Yeah, well, with, like I said, with those songs in particular, we weren't actually there for the writing of the top line. But um, yeah, I mean, usually the way it goes is just a few people get in the room and um, usually helps if like one of the top liners has a great voice because no matter how good a, a top line is, if it's not sung correctly, no one can can hear that it's good, if that makes sense. Like, people don't have yeah, a good yeah. enough imagination. A&Rs or artists, they can't, like, hear through a bad singer. So oftentimes, top-line writers are, are good singers themselves. Um, yeah, interesting. So, yeah. like, top-line writer is a specific job where all you do is you write, is it, like, more the melody and the formance of the melody as well, or is it, like, they also do the lyrics as well? No, it's it's lyrics as well. It's all that. But wait, I don't know. What's obviously like a top line is incredibly important, especially in pop music. The melody, the performance, and the the lyrics. But what's also extremely important is that the production fits the vibe of what you were going for. You know, so oftentimes, like especially nowadays, I find that like good top line writers will work with good producers who know how to enact the vision that they they had. Because I, I just think it's the whole package, you know? Like, oh, 100%, uh, yeah. Yeah, like if, if you take a song that's meant to sound really grimy, but it just has an acoustic guitar over it and, you know, sung like a folk, or, you know, performed like a folk song, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work, you know? So I, just, I think it's the entire package is important. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm... I, I, I'm familiar with like the production side of things, but I've never really worked in sort of the pop industry with writing. So I'm more, more just curious about like the, the general process with that. So in, in your experience, when you've worked with top line singers and they have a great voice, they make a great top line, they sing it, it sounds good. How often do you go like, all right, we've got the top line, sounds great, the production's great, everything's all good. Now we're going to go find another singer to sing it. Or like, is there quite often the case where the top line that the original person wrote and sung will just stay there on the tune and that's the tune or is it pretty common to then go and find other people to re-sing it 
I just think it it's it's all dependent on like who you are and and what your project is and what you're trying to accomplish. You know, so like if if you are a producer in the pop world, let's say, I think it would be pretty common for you to to find um, what vocalist would would fit the song best. But with Michael and I we like sing on our own stuff now. So very often, like we're the ones that end up singing it. Yeah. So I just think it depends. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Um, so some people listening might actually know you. Sorry. <laughs> One second. No worries. Huh. wonder what to do about this. <laughs> yeah, we have people here cleaning and stuff but you can probably still hear that from here huh yeah but it's a lot less bad i, I can barely <laughs> hear it from where you are now okay cool for sure yeah if, that, if, is my fine. internet is my internet okay here uh it's like marginally worse than it was but it's still fine i think we can make it work cool Cool. So yeah, a bunch of people probably know you then from your Singularity project. Um, I'm curious, like, uh, why you stopped that project, and if you have any plans to continue it. Um, I mean, part of it was just that it was not supporting me financially. You know, it's I enjoyed making music, but um. I went on a tour one time as Singularity and uh, I was extremely broke. And our my manager at the time um, just literally stole all the money from the tour. Oh, <laughs> like we went on like a 40 date tour and he just stole it all. Uh, how is and that, that, how was is that like, legal? I mean, it's not. <laughs> did you have a Did you have a contract in place? I don't know. I, to be honest, I've never been someone who looks out for the money side of things. I'm not like ever focused on that kind of stuff. I just kind of just trust people. And obviously in this case, it really screwed me over. Um, but yeah, it was just like a really hard blow and it, and it kind of just like shook me in a way that made me kind of rethink everything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. No, nothing quiet like a, an extortion of all your 40 day tour money to make you rethink things. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're like a young kid, that's like really hurting, you know, I remember when I, even, even then when I was living in like a place that cost me nothing to live in and I couldn't afford for the cheap rent. Even I remember seeing comments on YouTube that would be like, you're selling out, you sold out or something like that. And it would make me laugh. Cause I'm like, this person clearly has no idea what it's like to be an artist. It's hard to hear, you know? Yeah. It is. So yeah. um, is your main uh, financial support now coming from stuff like tracks that have a billion streams? Because I, I actually did the math on this earlier. I was like, how much fucking money does that do you make off that? And I Googled how much a Spotify stream is. And it's mm -hmm. like somewhere between uh point zero zero two and point zero zero oh sorry point zero zero three and point zero zero five of a dollar whatever that is i don't even think it's one mm -hmm. cent it might be like uh half a cent basically and then i did the math of like the amount of streams it has times that which equaled 
four and a half million dollars. But then I mm. assume the label takes half of that, which is like two point two million. And then there's four people on the tune, so I assume you split no, up. No, there's, there's more than four people on the tune. But yeah. Oh, true. I, okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people that are involved in that song, and then like you said, the label takes so much. Honestly, even the biggest songs in the world, unless you're like, you know, if you're if you're Ed Sheeran or something, and you write the whole thing, it maybe changes it a bit. But I just think you make a lot less than you'd think. That's that's what I would say. Yeah, and then on top yeah. of that, you have to pay a shit ton of tax as well. Yeah, Dude, I remember like the first year that I did tax in America. It depressed me so much. I was like, why the fuck do I even do this? Because, like, being an immigrant, I have to pay extra tax as well, which kind of sucks. Mm. Yeah, um, definitely. But, but, yeah. Okay, so you can't live off a tune that has a billion streams. I mean, <laughs> Dude, if, not if as you much can't live as, off as a tune, you think. Like, yeah. I, I feel like back in the day, in, like, the 80s and the 90s, if you had a radio hit, you're kind of just, like, set for life. But I don't think it's that way anymore. Yeah, the pop industry seems mega sharky in that way. Like, even if a tune is generating like millions of dollars, it's yeah. I hear the story so often of people just being like, "I didn't see any of it," or "I saw a very small amount of it." Yeah. Um. So you've been like really into AI stuff lately, right? You're like mm. telling me the other day that you're like massively into AI video stuff. How yeah, did you and like increasingly a... audio stuff as well. Yeah, addicted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did you get into that stuff? Um, I've always been a technology person just as much as I am a, an art person. Like I, I just like the intersection of technology and art, which is why my, you mentioned singularity. That's like, that comes from like the technological singularity. It's like, my whole ethos has always been the merging of, of tech and art. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like I just follow whatever the newest stuff is. And um, I was very into like mid journey when, when that first came out and I had a friend who, who was making AI videos and I just became obsessed. It's extremely techy and nerdy to get into. Um, but like increasingly as, as time goes on, it, it becomes more and more accessible. Like when I first started, it was, you just get swamped with Google Colab notebooks that are so <laughs> technical, you know? Um, but I'm, I'm really excited for it to become more and more accessible. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So what, what kind of uh, stuff are you doing with it at the moment? Like what's your, what, what kind of things are you trying to achieve with it? Um, yeah, it's just like, being able to so, so one thing you can do that's really exciting is it's basically style transfer right so you have like a video and a video is just made up of frames and so you can use something called warp fusion that will convert each frame into anything that you want right so if you're into anime you can make an anime by filming it first which is um we have some friends there. They have a channel on YouTube called Corridor and they've been doing that. They have a series called anime rock, paper, scissors. That's really, really cool. But yeah, I mean, the, the possibilities are absolutely endless with style transfer because it, it basically means that when you're recording a video, that video is basically just a skeleton. It, it all that. So, which means that you can just use your phone 
to record something that could end up looking like Star Wars if, if style transfer gets good enough. It just means that you're just recording shapes, essentially, and all the details can come in later, which is like so exciting to me because it, it basically means where we're moving is that someone in their bedroom will be able to make something that looks AAA quality in like a week by themselves, yeah. which was just never possible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess the same is uh, applicable to audio too, right? Like you could probably just hum a melody and then transfer the style of your humming into the voice. Well, you can already do it into the voice of basically anybody, but um, yeah, and you can also do it using dance diffusion and like you could just hum something and then transfer it into something that sounds like it was sampled off a of vinyl or yeah, uh, electric guitar or a saxophone or whatever you want, really. Yeah, I definitely think the um, possibilities for that kind of stuff are pretty exciting. Something, uh, I, uh, something I think about a lot is that the, really at the core of humanity is actually just ideas and, and stories. And, you know, people just work through the medium that they have available to them. So in... You know, the 1800s, a lot of people were writing books, but it's just because that's the medium that they had to express their ideas. But that's what's so exciting about technology is the better it gets, the more we can bring what's going on in our head and in our imaginations to reality faster. Um, it's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited about the accessibility side of it because you'll have these people who are just interested in technology like yourself who all of a sudden don't need an entire team to do anything basically and at some point which is almost already actually you pretty much have a professional programmer at your fingertips in the way of chat gpt mm -hmm. you pretty much have a professional 3d uh, uh visual artist at your fingertips with warp fusion you pretty much have a professional sound designer at your fingertips with dance diffusion it's like at some point the assistance from ai is going to get so good that the combination of basically being able to employ a whole team of people with very specialized, insane, hard to develop skill sets is going to get so easy that I think the combination that people come up with using all of these different technologies, uh, once it becomes accessible to literally anyone to do it, it's going to be pretty exciting. Like you could develop yeah. a whole like AV show by yourself now, you know, you don't need anyone else to help you with that at this point almost yeah i think a lot of people will hear what you just said and kind of get the ick in the sense that either it feels like cheating or it feels immoral or something like that but i think it's important to realize this trend has been happening forever like that that's what a shovel is or a tractor or a, any piece of technology that helps you do something is essentially that that same thing it's just expanding your capabilities and uh, making you su superhuman in some kind of way. It's, I see it as an awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And yeah, I mean, it's going to come with some problems, you know, like there will be less employ. Like, for instance, now somebody who wants to go and do a show doesn't have to necessarily employ, you know, a, a, a person to make video content or, you know, anything like that. Like, yeah, there'll be some jobs that, uh, you know, stop happening quite as much but if, if you think about the benefits especially in other parts of life like imagine having a personal assistant for your health like a like a doctor right you have chat gpt and 
you put on a watch or something and at any given time during the day it's like you need this vitamin or yeah. you need you need this you need that you need to go for a walk like it'll just tell you like what you need to do to optimize everything and mm. also like therapy you know like if if ai gets good enough and you just have this personal therapist in your pocket all the time that can just help you with any problem that you're going through or you know education if if a, you know a kid is having trouble at school they can just already go to chatgpt and be like oh, i don't understand long division can you explain it to me and it'll, yeah. it, it'll explain it to you like better than almost any teacher could so i think the the benefits that come with this um by having like an ai assistant just available to you at all times that's you know more knowledgeable on all topics than basically anyone on the planet yeah kind of kind of outweighs any con I, would I couldn't agree more. Some, something I think about a lot is if you zoom out enough on money and incentives and, you know, why, why did money even become a thing in the first place? I just think it was a tool that made sense at the time to incentivize people to, um, yeah, just create the kind of world that, that we all want to live in. And what that world seems like to me is uh, energy becoming free, essentially, like... Um, you know, solar power, getting, you know, insanely efficient and us creating, yeah, just create, making the world into the place that we want to, we want to be in like a sustainable, incredible future. But I think we're getting to the point now where money doesn't even make sense anymore. It, it made sense to get us here, but now I think we're going to have to change the entire way that we see money. And I don't think it has anything to do with it that technology is evil or anything like that it's more so like we've reached we've almost reached the place that money was pushing us toward um and yeah i think i think we might need to just rethink money fundamentally yeah i agree with you <clears throat> uh yeah speaking of money and technology what's your thoughts on crypto are you like in, into crypto or not really 100 percent. yeah i the fact that the government can just print as much money as they want willy-nilly is like a big issue. So, yeah, I, I'm... Yeah, I, I agree with that, fan. though. My problem with crypto is that everyone talks about it being like this new currency that'll like take over and when you use like this new currency, it'll be all decentral and like all this shit. But no one's spending it at all. Like everyone mm. who has crypto is just keeping it and basically treating it like a long-term stock option mm. so if you I never mean, use it how's it ever going to turn into a fucking currency it, that makes sense i think in my experience that's not true i guess because I, I just spend a lot of time on sound xyz um mm. which is a decentralized place for listening to music and supporting artists and all that and yeah i, I mean at least on sound it's growing every day and I see sound as like a combination of Patreon on one hand, because there's people on there that will buy people's music um, just because they, they love that artist and they're trying to support them. It's like a mixture of that versus, versus like the stock market where people will buy something to maybe make a profit in the future. So I don't know. To me, sound it represents like, the future of of music in my opinion um which is why we're putting out our new gray ep there and yeah mm. how does it yeah, how does it work there. And 
can anybody upload anything to sound? Um, so for the first while there, it was more <clears throat> curated by, um, yeah, the people that, that ran sound. But now I think anyone can upload on sound, yeah. Okay, interesting. So, is and it's an NFT thing, right? Like you upload a track and then that track's representation goes on the blockchain as an NFT. Yeah, and um, I mean... Lately, NFT has gotten kind of a dirty reputation with even just using that word. So most people are saying on chain now. But um, okay. yeah, yeah. But I, I think what happened with NFTs and its reputation was really unfortunate because I think there's a real beauty in creators being able to determine what their music is worth, you know, um, and not just have Spotify and whoever determine that for you. Yeah. yeah, that's actually yeah reasonable. Oh, Jesus Christ, my cat's attacking my nipple. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you, though. A lot of people say shit like, oh, man, like smart contracts at some point, you know, let's say an AI that develops art uh, spits out a, a piece of art and you can look into the black box and, and figure out where it pulled all of its inspirations from to... Uh, generate that piece of art and let's say it pulled uh you know influences from 50 or 60 or let's say for the sake of argument a million different artists and then somebody buys that uh piece of ai art for one dollar mm. uh using nft smart contract technology it could technically in theory uh break that one dollar up into a million pieces and pay everybody evenly but mm. the truth is, is that type of NFT technology will just never scale to that size. The technology is just not good enough. It'll fail at like yeah. a small percentage of that amount of people. I am definitely not trying to say that uh, crypto as it stands is the answer. Like I know that um, we just need to keep experimenting and trying new things. What, what I am saying, though, is I think the standard model makes no sense. And mm. I'm just willing to just try new stuff and keep experimenting. That's kind of my stance, I guess. Yeah, I agree with you. So do you think in the future then people will no longer trade uh, currency that can be traded for goods and services in other places um, in exchange for their time or their, their work or their effort? Or like, how do you, how do you think uh, this is going to play out then if money is going to get deleted? Um, I, I mean... I'm just such a techno optimist that I hope that we move into a place where, like I said, the cost of energy plummets to zero, which you can see. Just look at the, the price of solar. It, it just keeps dropping faster and faster. Um, and then with things like chat GPT and AI getting better and better, the, the cost of information is also dropping near zero. So as the cost of everything comes so far down it, it we might just end up in a place where robots are doing all the stuff that we don't want to do and we can essentially just like make cool stuff uh without cost essentially i mean most people think that's either impossible or that will take hundreds and hundreds of years but i see that world being possible sooner than you'd think i don't know maybe i'm just like a yeah. crazy optimist yeah. No, I agree with you. I, 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 I could see the world going to that way, but I'm just curious what's going to happen at that point with, uh, uh, you know, like 
how does one then earn money to go and buy food or, or does this just become you do you think things like food and whatnot will just be sort of like a, you get like a stipend from the government or something of a certain <laughs> amount of hot dogs per month or I mean I don't know how this you know what the actual implementation of this would be but if you had an incredibly smart robot that runs off the sun that could just do what whatever you ask it to do it could go <laughs> get you food or or this or that like i i know oh, that this just sounds like <laughs> weird and insane to people and i don't i don't know what the you know actual end implementation of this is but it just seems like a problem that that could be solved <laughs> you just have like this little robot and you're like hey go get me like dinner <laughs> And it just goes, it just like travels around the neighborhood, just cutting down <laughs> trees and shit and like yeah. and then chucks it in its little robot belly furnace and just shits out a, a steak or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, possible. Um, so what other projects are you working on at the moment? Um, yeah, I mean, pretty focused on the gray stuff right now. We, um, we, just made an EP that we're rolling out over the next few months. So really excited that the next song we're dropping is actually the, a collab with Virtual Riot. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. I love I love Val. He's a, such a great producer. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. How, how did that work? Did you do it over Zoom or did you do it in person? Or? Uh, no, we did it in person. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, because he was in L.A. for a while, right? So. Yeah. That's cool. And how was the writing process with him? Did you find that you guys did more of the writing and he did more of the production or was it just kind of like uh, everyone all in doing kind of whatever? We, I would say we did like the base level of the song, like wrote, wrote the top line and, and got the production into like the place where it felt all right, like chord wise and all that kind of stuff. But we, we got in the studio with Val and he just like juiced up the production times 10 <laughs> like it just sounds like insanely fat right now in a way that we you know isn't our forte i would say yeah he's really good at that every yeah. time i've been in the studio with him too he does the same thing he, he's so fast too like at getting something to sound like finished yeah basically like mastered he can almost get it there instantly it's crazy yeah definitely that's cool so when does this come out um, I think it's the 21st of this month of September. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I look forward yeah. to it. And that's, that's going to be on sound as well. Uh, it'll be on, yeah. Sound XYZ as well as, um, yeah. Typical DS, DSP stuff, Apple music and, and Spotify. Nice. Are you, uh, doing it through a label or are you kind of taking care of the marketing side? Yeah. We're, we're releasing this whole EP through Lowly. Okay, Lowly Palace. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like uh, the Trap Nation. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, actually, mm -hmm. the guy who does my art, um, funny, he did like all of the art for their YouTube channel for a long ass time. Nice. And they were putting up a, they put up a track every, was it every, it might have been every day, I don't know. But yeah, they are oh, putting yeah. up a track for a long time and he was doing all the art from that. Um, cool, so you, so you, still focused on gray stuff even after finishing that ap trying to make another one or something or yeah just i mean it's a, it's a lot of work to put out an ep actually like i remember back in 
2010, you just make an EP and then you put it up on SoundCloud. But now it's not <laughs> like that. It's, it is a full-time job trying to promote music, you know? Yeah. So it's a lot yeah, of that. Yeah, I agree with you. What's the like general promotion strategy that you're using for this one? Um, I feel like it's p- part of it is just like making you know the typical kind of teaser stuff and stuff that looks cool using the song. But then another piece of it is just because we're so into this AI stuff, just like making funny content for for TikTok using a lot of these. Um, AI things like we've been converting my voice to like different singers like Frank Sinatra or something and doing <laughs> funny co- covers of, of pop songs and I don't know just like experimenting in ways that we have fun with yeah 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 I think that's uh the most ideal or the the thing that works the best anyway right because I think if you're not having fun doing something everyone can tell yeah versus 100%. the opposite is kind of also true like if you're having a lot of fun with something i think people can also tell and generally people want to be around people that are having fun and they want to share that fun versus yeah. being around people who are not really having fun and just doing stuff because they feel like they have to do it totally agree i think yeah people's authenticity meter that people are very good at, at telling authenticity for sure yeah, yeah agreed um Cool. Well, what else? Uh, what else are you up to these days? Any any other interesting things? Um, I don't know, man. Yeah, just just learning and growing. Just trying to soak up the world. I <laughs> uh, just got a cold plunge recently that I've been obsessed with using. I go in how, there daily. How cold is it? It is at. 34 degrees right now which is two so degrees away from freezing <laughs> is it yeah freezing is 32 right 32 yeah oh, so man. how long how long do you go in there for um i do like 10 minutes a day you're in it for 10 whole minutes straight yeah yeah, yeah. Jesus i mean christ that's a lot longer than you like even the benefits go like i think the benefits stop at like 11 minutes a week so i'm doing like seven times more than you need to really, but I just enjoy it. Yeah. That's wild. What, what are the benefits of cold plunge? Um, so one on the, on the more like health side, I guess one bit of it is surrounding brown fat, which is something that you get from like exposing yourself to really cold temperatures like that. And it just boosts your metabolism, I guess. Um, but that's not really even why I do it. For me, I do it because it wakes me up more than a, any <laughs> kind of coffee. Um, I just feel like incredible after I get out of there. Yeah. While you're in it, are you like hating it though? No, I would see it. I had it at actually 44 degrees for a while. And especially when it was at 44, I just got like so used to it, but I, I set it down 10 degrees colder recently. And I would say it's a lot harder now, but it's the kind of thing that you get used to. Mm, yeah. Interesting. You do it daily. Yeah. Every time I've like tried to take a, even just a cold shower or something, I'm immediately like, nope, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, they, I used to go to this thing called uh, Banya, which is like a Russian bathhouse in yeah. San Francisco. And they had a cold pool there that I don't know what the exact temperature was, but it was so fucking cold. And I would get in it for like um, less than 
20 seconds and I guess <laughs> I was like I actually it. just went to Banya for my first time in SF and it was oh so yeah Archimedes Banya yeah it was great yeah dude yeah that place is sick I love that place yeah did you go in the in the sauna where they're like hitting people with the, the leaves <laughs> yeah. yes man that was a wild experience being in there but yeah the the cold plunge maybe it was just the day I was there or but it just didn't feel very cold to me Maybe I'm just like a boss like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going in like something daily that's 30, 40 30, degrees, then you're four, probably... But yeah. That, yeah, so you've been in that exact same one. Dude, I go in that shit for like like 10 seconds and I'm like, fuck this. And <laughs> guess straight I'm out. sure it depends on like what time of day it is. But yeah. Uh, it probably was like the same. It, I've been there a bunch of times and it was always freezing. Like I, I always tried <laughs> to go in it every time I went and just instantly was like, no... Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. So all of this cold shit, it like came off of um the back of Wim Hof's shit, like his yeah, I findings, think so. right? Yeah. He, I heard a story he told. I think it was on Joe Rogan, where he was like, I tried to go, like he went into an like a lake, and he dug two holes in the ice of the lake, and wanted for some reason to go down one hole and then swim and come up the other hole, for whatever reason. Okay. And he said when he did it, he couldn't find the other hole because his retinas froze. <laughs> yeah, what? like literally his eyeballs froze and and it stopped wow. him from being able to see. And uh, That sounds so incredibly scary. Yeah, I know. Like, why would you want to even do that? I guess like <laughs> it's just extreme and maybe like he just... At this point of going in the freezing cold for so many years, he's just like used to the extreme, and now he's like, I have to go more extreme. I have to dig a hole and swim to yeah. another hole. <laughs> I heard that guy uh, walked up Mount Everest, like climbed Mount Everest without shoes on, just like in his underwear. Yeah, he he also did that. Yeah, Which is, <laughs> again, just like fucking wild. But yeah, apparently there's been a bunch of studies on him and shit, and he like never gets the cold and like he's yeah really healthy yeah <clears throat> there's Pretty this wild. other thing i don't know where this is it might be in antarctica or something where there's um a place that you can go where you can change your temperature by i think it's like 150 degrees or something like that like you can go basically from a sauna that's i don't know however hot that is and then get out and jump in some ice lake and apparently mm. the difference in temperature is massive and that can be pretty extreme and people do it. Yeah. <laughs> we we have a sauna at our new place and that's I've been doing that same thing. I'll go from two our sauna is like 195 degrees and then I'll get into the 34 which is you it just shocks your body. Yeah. That's fucking wild. Do you yeah, why I didn't fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like mad health conscious in other ways too? Like, do you do anything no. else like that? No, not at all. Like, that's my thing. I'm just like an extreme person in general. Um, so, I I'm like a work hard, play hard kind of person. So, I try to offset that by running and and doing that, you know, cold plunge kind of stuff. But I, I definitely don't like eat as healthy as I could and stuff like that. No. Yeah, same. I, I order way too much Uber Eats. <laughs> yeah, same. So do you do any shows anymore these days or are you kind of like completely just in the writing world? Um, I mean, we're, we're definitely going to 
be getting into shows more and more coming up. But yeah, I mean, we've never been like hyper focused on on shows, more so on production and writing. Mm. Yeah. How is it being in a like an act with your brother? Is it? Do you? I mean, I guess you get along really well. In yeah, I mean, case. we like know each other really well at this point. Um, I mean, when we were really young, we like didn't get along at all, actually. And it's actually it's so wild that now we work so well together. Um, part of it is like knowing each other's strengths and knowing knowing when to push and when not to push. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like kind of a hard person to work with because I'm very autistic in certain ways and have sound sensitivity and I, I get distracted. So like having someone who knows all those kinds of things about me is, is really rare, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have a good relationship with my brother, so I can never really imagine working with him in that way. I kind of had the opposite experience. We're really good friends when we were younger and then, less so uh when we got older but there's a few acts i guess who are, who are brothers who work really well together like cosmos midnight comes to mind and also mm. disclosure obviously yeah um yeah that's cool yeah i kind of envy yeah. that it'd be really cool to be in a project with your own brother yeah um, have you guys always written music together or is that something that you just started doing later in life um when i mean we've always been like interested in music equally but i was more so the one who there, there's a thing with brothers where like you don't want to copy one another so especially <laughs> if you're the younger brother so michael's younger than me so because i got into like making music first i think he just thought like oh that's off limits kind of thing but yeah, I feel that. because he's just as interested in music as me he would always especially as i went off to college he would like i would send him a song and he would give me notes on what he think could be better but it wasn't until like 2014 that we really started actually working together nice yeah, yeah that's awesome yeah. and yeah. You, you both work on ableton or are you in different doors or um michael's more so an ideas person like because i'm so fast with ableton like it, it doesn't ever really make sense for him to be the one behind the mouse necessarily but he's great at writing lyrics and he has really great production ideas and um yeah i don't know he's he's just more of a top level kind of um ideas person yeah yeah fair so yeah. the other day you mentioned to me your process for making a song is that you try and come up with the chords on the guitar first before mm -hmm. doing anything. Is that your process for every song? I still haven't tried that, by the way. I still need to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I start every song with either... Most of the time it's going to be guitar, yeah, but sometimes it'll be like writing in MIDI on, on a piano roll or something. I just think like chords are music <laughs> in a way. At least for me it is. So I just don't find any reason to start a song unless I love the chords. Yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, I need to get more into that. I feel like that's also a good way to make sure that your song passes the campfire test, mm. like the the test of basically being able to play it and sing it on a guitar. And I feel like if you can't do that <laughs> with a song, then it's not a strong song, really. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. That's, that's why it's always been hard for me to get into music that is purely based around sound design because I just imagine trying to play that song on the piano. And if it's a boring song like that, then it's usually, at least for me, it's there's not much for me there. But yeah, that's I know that not not everyone is that way, but I just I really like the kind of music that will stand the test of time you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think like, I obviously love sound design. And for me, it's a massive part of my music and it, and it always will be like the production always like I can't really enjoy a song as much that has bad production. But I also think that always the songs that I've loved the most uh, have had both. And yeah, exactly. Definitely the, the songs that I keep listening to like later in life definitely always have a strong musical idea that you can hum or play on a yes. piano or a guitar or something. I, I, there's, by the way, what I'm not saying is that like bass music can never be like that. I just mean like if you listen to a, an, an amazing Skrillex track or whatever, like you said, there's an earworm of a melody that you can hum. And that's what like makes it really work for me at least. Yeah, I, I don't think it's controversial to say that the best bass music songs have both yeah, like I, I can't think of any massive bass music song that like tons and tons of people resonate with and connect with that doesn't have a really solid melody mm. or harmony or vocal or something like that. Yeah, I I just think more electronic producers shouldn't be afraid of, you know, really diving into the sections that aren't drops. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. So how, how did you learn, like, how to write songs? Did you have any education or did you just kind of figure it out? Mm, yeah, no, I, I took, like, one guitar lesson when I was, like, nine years old and then realized that that's not, like, how, how I like to learn. I just started listening to music and trying to pick it apart and just playing guitar every day. Um, I... I'm such an advocate for ear training. It is crazy. It's the one thing that I'll tell all my friends is how much um, ear, you know, training your ears to hear melodies and and intervals and chords correctly is so so important. So that's my thing that all my friends know me for is just like having good ears and being able to like apply that. Yeah. Have you ever used the piece of software Frequia? No. What is that? It was made by an old professor of mine at college. His name's Dr. Mark Bassett. I had him on my podcast as well. Um, and it's like an ear training software where it gives you, uh, you put a piece of music into it and then it applies an EQ setting to it, but it doesn't tell you what the EQ setting is. And then you have to blindly like, match the eq basically oh that's interesting that's like yeah so ear training for like mixing and and sound design in a way that's cool yeah definitely there, more for mixing and mastering there's this other one that is more geared towards the version of ear training i was talking about um the site's called meludia but yeah if, if anyone's interested in learning intervals how do you and, spell that m-e-l-u-d-i-a they're just like fun little games essentially around 
ear training for music and they're really really helpful if you if you finish the course yeah oh fuck yeah yeah i'm gonna try that out for sure because actually i was thinking recently about possibly doing one of berkeley's uh like pop songwriting courses or something like that mm. and i've asked some other people that have done it so i've gotten mixed reports on like how helpful it was but I, yeah i definitely think i need to get better at the writing side of things i feel like yeah production side of things is okay but yeah i think the like one of the main things that i have to improve on is that so i'll give this a shot for sure yeah sick well uh thanks a lot for coming on the podcast man i appreciate you taking the time to chat with me uh how how can people find you if they want uh yeah i guess just typical like instagram twitter and uh and tiktok so we're we're either so on tiktok we're just gray g-r-e-y but um instagram and twitter it's gray music cool by the way i think it's so so funny how many people think that music is in our name (laughs) (laughs) they're like oh yeah gray music yeah but no our name is gray and it's gray music on those two so yeah thanks for having me yeah of course man cheers yeah have a good one Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, You should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, But but just know that that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that. So uh, just just putting that out there. <laughs>